Um, we're having a look at voice behaviours. Uh, I'll explain what they are in a second. And silence in organisations. Um, it's kind of really interesting. There's a load of research on this. And we've done quite a lot of research briefings. And once I've finished, I'll send a pack of research briefings to you as a zip file. I think one of the things that's, as I'm kind of going through the research to do with this, that kind of dawned on me is, as you'll see, just how important this is and how important it is to organisations and to leadership and a whole series of other things as well. And yet things like employee engagement, which is connected, tend to steal the show. And this very rarely gets mentioned in virtually anything, um, whether it's learning development or anything. And I think it, as we'll see, I think it needs uh, a, a much bigger role um, and certainly people paying a lot more attention to it. So what are we talking about? Um, the phrase that tends to be used within organisations or within the research tends to be either employee voice or voice behaviour. They're the two main kind of terms. And what they're referring to is this, that it's the informal communications that are discretionary of ideas, suggestions, concerns, problems, opinions about work-related issues with the intent, so there's an intent here, a purpose behind the communication to bring about some form of improvement or change. And so what this isn't are things like committees, right? So the formal structures that organisations put in, um, engagement surveys and those kinds of things, this is the day-to-day -day chatter in order to make things better in some way or create some form of change. And I started thinking about this, and it, it, it's interesting when you look across the research of how they how they position voice. And they position voice like this, that we've got voice, and then there's a range of kind of voice behaviours from talking a lot, um, giving a lot of feedback and that kind of thing, down to silence, where which I'll explain in a minute what the definition of that is. But once I started really having a look at it, I kind of realized that there's more and and it kind of gets conf people confuse voice and what it means. And they think it just means people talking. And it's not, as we've seen, it's that informal feedback that's aimed at creating some form of change. So it's worthwhile positioning voice along with noise. Kind of lots of kind of stuff that's going on where people are talking a lot, but actually it's not aimed at creating improvement. It's where people are just kind of giving vent to giving vent or um, they like the sound of their own voice um, or we keep hearing the same stories, um, but nothing's happening about it. So, and it, it, I think it's worth distinguishing between those three things, silence, voice, and noise. And we'll come back to this a little bit later on. So silence, the kind of research definition, largely the 
accepted research definition is this. The refusal to speak up or communicate relevant input, even when there's an opportunity to do so. And as I've kind of hinted at, I think it's kind of seen by research as important, but I think it's critical within organisations. I think voice behaviours are absolutely critical. And the reason that I say that is this. When you think about it in any organisation, your employees, uh, the people who are doing the work, are actually the eyes and ears of the organisation. They see things going on that the managers don't see. They hear things. They experience things that maybe nobody else experiences. So they really are the eyes and ears of the organisation. They're connected to the customers. They're connected to stakeholders. They're connected to all sorts of people. And getting that information about how to make things better, how to improve things, is critical. Because if you're not receiving that information, if everything really is quiet, there's a real problem. So this whole idea of employee voice and voice behaviours are connected to noticing weak signals and sometimes they're strong signals they're the usually it's the first the employees can give you the hint that something's about to happen or there's something you know there's there's a game afoot somewhere it's um about knowing what's going on it's all data it helps with innovation because quite a lot of the innovation within organizations processes and things come from the employees it's about problem solving and it's kind of hard to solve problems, make decisions and troubleshoot if you don't have the right information. Uh, we've already said it's about improvement and it's where a lot of the ideas come from, so the employees. So, and this is why I position this as a critical area of organisations and kind of organisational development, I suppose, and what's going on, management, leadership, the whole, the whole bag. So what I want to do is kind of have a look at what it is that predicts employee voice from the research. So what's the research saying that actually helps to create a situation where people are willing and able and will speak up when they see something going wrong or they've had an idea. You hear me? That. Right. So... From the research, there's a number of predictors. I'll explain what these are as we kind of go through. So the first one's what's known as latent voice opportunity. This is how they refer to it in the research. And all that means is it's there's a, an opportunity or a potential for an employee to actually express an idea, a suggestion, or a concern. So there is an actual opportunity um, for, for that to happen. And that could either be in a conversation, meeting a, a manager, whatever it happens to be. And there's kind of three three main areas connected to this. Firstly, there's an awareness of the issues, that the employees be, are aware that there's a problem or they've got an idea to share. And then that, that they have a motivation to share it. They see a reason for sharing it, which is where quite a lot of the problems occur with voice behaviours because they think, well, there's no point. Nobody's listening anyway that kind of thing. So the motivation's down and we'll have a look at some of those, uh, the reasons for that. Or that they are aware that, and the managers are aware that they possess unique information 
that and that is useful and quite often it can get lost in that noise and that's why it's important for managers and leaders and organizations to kind of distinguish between voice behaviors and noise it's that pertinent stuff that's unique we've not heard it before and it contains important information the second set of predictors are what are known as individual characteristics they tend to be the characteristics of an employee so the first set are things like personal dispositions um, what we mean by that are traits such as um, initiative, extroversion, proactivity, um, personality, things like conscientiousness, all predict whether somebody is likely to engage in voice behaviours and actually say their piece, uh, give the feedback. The second one are what are known as core self-evaluations. And what that refers to are um, whether the individual feels that they've got a sense of control um, within their own job um, and that they're motivated and that they can influence things. There's a sense of agency. So people with a low sense of agency tend not to engage in voice behaviours. So people who think nobody's listening to me anyway. And then status makes a difference that's another predictor so self-perceived status um, that enhances kind of their psychological safety where they feel yeah okay i'm part of this i'm part of the organization i've got a right and i'm likely to be listened to that kind of status that we're talking about so it's kind of a psychological level and then the research is also showing that there's a, a distinction between gender. So quite often women may have a lower level of self-efficacy within an organisation they may not feel listened to and therefore are less likely to voice um, behaviours. That's not always the case. Um, and that's um, influenced by whether there are female leaders and whether there's a supportive leadership and then the same thing happens for minorities within organisations, whether they feel that they're really part of the organisation, so the whole thing about inclusivity, and but also whether they're being listened to is a big predictor of whether they're going to engage in voice behaviours. The next set of predictors are what are known as uh, the, the, are the attitudes and emotions that are going on within the organisation. So things like job satisfaction, um, and there's kind of a U-shaped relationship where people who are um, kind of in the middle of job satisfaction, bizarrely, are much more likely to speak up than people who are really dissatisfied or are very, very happy. So there's this kind of middle ground. It's kind of an inverted U-shape where it's the, the middle ground, the people are okay but they're noticing problems and they're seeing the positive things, they're much more likely to speak up. People who feel that they've got some form of responsibility or are obligated towards the organisation in some way, so organisational citizenship behaviour, or organisation commitment, this sense that they're part of the organisation also predicts voice behaviours. And then also perceived 
job and organizational fit like do their values align with the organization if they don't less likely significantly less likely to engage in voice behaviors if they do and they feel part of the organization they're much more likely to engage in in voice behaviors then we come to the leaders and their behavior and style and their attitudes and that has a a big impact. There's a lot of research. This is probably the largest area of research to do with voice behaviors. So um, leadership styles, there's a, there's a slew of uh, studies here looking at things like ethical, ensure, uh, ethical leadership, empowering leadership, transformational leadership, servant leadership, and inclusive leadership are all predictors of voice behavior, whereas things like transactional leadership tend to reduce it and then when you start to get into things like machiavellian leadership and those kinds of things tend to completely suppress voice behavior and bring about silence then we've got the behaviors of the leader so is the leader inclusive are they helping and are they responsive and do they actually take action so when you've got leaders that they may be listening, but they don't do anything about it. Employees soon learn there's, there's no point. And, and it's okay if there's no... So there's a couple of studies looking here. What happens if there is no action? Well, that's okay if that is explained. There's a good reason for it. And they go back to the employee and say, look, good idea, thanks. The reason we're not going to do it is this. And if that happens, the voice behaviours will stay high if it doesn't happen and there's no communication, no discourse, it tends to go low again. And then there's things like what are known as leader dispositional characteristics, so the characteristics of the actual leader. So things like humility, integrity, and a, a sense where the, the leader has control and can do things, has agency, all increase the likelihood of uh, employee voice behaviors then come relational so relationships and contextual factors so things like the relationship with co-workers so the other workers am i getting on with people is there a sense of respect and support from co-workers all of that helps to increase voice behaviors where you don't like your co-workers or you're not there's very little collaboration or people, you get this sense that people don't like you, then that tends to suppress voice behaviors. Then there's LMX or leader member exchange. So the quality of the relationship between supervisors, managers, leaders, and the employees makes a huge difference uh, and is a, is very significant. So a better relationship encourages more voice behaviors. And then things like organizational structures and practices also make a big difference. So anything that promotes employee involvement in things like decision-making, enhanced voice behaviors, structures that are centralized. There's a few studies showing that centralized structures tend to decrease voice behaviors. People don't sense, uh, there's less of a sense of ownership, particularly if there's distance. So if head office is in another country or in a completely different place, and a lot of the decisions are being made there and they're not referring back, that tends to suppress voice behaviours. 
And then there's a thing called network position. And what that means is, where am I within the network? And am I being listened to? And is the team that I'm part of or the teams that I'm part of, have they got influence as well? So if I'm in a team that seems to have influence, people are listening to us, much more likely to engage in voice behaviours. If I think we're, you know, we've just been put in a shed somewhere and nobody cares really about us, then we get suppression of, of voice behaviours. Then there's a, a, a set of um, predictors known as differential predictors. So there's two... So largely within the, the, the voice literature, there's two types of employee voice. There's what's known as promotive voice, and that's the kind of stuff about making suggestions about changes, improvements, or here's some ideas. And then there's um, what's known as prohibitive voice, and that's about raising concerns, pointing out problems, and highlighting practices. And what they found is that there are there are different predictors for each of those on top of the ones that we've already had a look at. So um, things like what's known as a, a promotion focus within the employees where people are oriented towards achieving things um, that they feel that the outcomes of what they're doing is positive, um, that they're aimed at growth, so a growth mindset, uh, and that they're seeing advancement, they expect advancement, tend to increase promotive voice and to a lesser extent still increase prohibitive voice. And then what's known as an approach orientation, and this is a, I suppose, a psychological mindset where individuals are actively engaged in, in situations, they seek out opportunities to contribute and, and address issues, that also increases both promotive and prohibitive voice as well, both of those. And then there are cultural values. So in some cultures, what we find is they'll engage in promotive voice and not prohibitive voice. And in other cultures, the other way around. And that's both macro cultures, so at a national level, but also micro cultures where um, it, it becomes an organizational culture. So you get the culture where everybody's complaining they'll highlight everything but there's very there are very few ideas coming through so both of those have an impact on these differential um forms of voice and then we'll just have a quick look at the predictors of silence which is the other side of this and what's interesting is there's a difference between suppressing voice and creating silence remember it's a refusal to talk so with the previous predictors, if they're all in place, people are much more likely to come up with ideas, notice problems, say that there's a problem here. All of that information is likely to flow quite quite readily. This is right at the other end. This is where people are refusing, even if they see something that's about to happen, absolutely refusing to engage. And there's three main predictors for this. The first is leader behavior. So things like abusive supervision has a huge impact on creating silence. Um, so anything that increases emotional exhaustion and psychological distress of people 
tends to result in uh, silence, um, where leaders are constantly critical, there's no positive feedback, those kinds of things, or they they are actually abusive. They start swearing at people and things like that is a is a, a big predictor, significant predictor of, of silence. Then things like managing narcissism. So where the manager is a narcissist, only cares about themselves, is promoting themselves only at the cost of everybody else. That has a significant impact on creating silence. And then also, and this is more of a, an organizational cultural thing, knowledge hiding, where they see the leader um, manipulating things in their favor. So this is so they're not saying certain things because it makes them look bad. And when employees notice that, they also start to go silent. And and really narcissism and knowledge hiding kind of go together because it kind of leads to less trust and and people start to disengage from the leader and the organization and it kind of really fosters silence and then there's um power distance that's how in terms of ranks or structure how far away you feel from your manager or leader and that's increased by a whole series of factors the way that the leader is whether they they come to you, whether you never see them, whether they're at a, in a completely different office, and uh, you know there's a, f a completely physical distance, where the only time the boss ever comes down on the floor is when there's something wrong, that kind of thing all increases power distance and increases the chances of 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 silence. And the other thing, the other factor here to do with leader behaviour is politics where employees feel that the managers and leaders are all playing politics. Employees tend to disengage at that point, so you get silence. So politics is measurably harmful within organisations where people feel it's, a, a, you know, we're having to tiptoe around things or we can't say this to them, but we can to them. Then we've got work context factors. So things like, um, mixed messages about status and worth. Um, so that's where I just don't know where I stand within the organisation. You know, I, they tell me I'm doing a good job, but they don't treat me like it. Uh, you know, it's where you get these kind of value statements on the wall and stuff like that, and they're just not being enacted. Um, and, and anything that, you know, where you think, yeah, the organization on the outside is trying to portray this, but on the inside, it's completely different. So anything that can creates mixed messaging really can produce silence. Then there are things around collective be beliefs about voice. So um, whether, whether managers see voice as important or not, and whether they care about it, and whether they confuse voice with noise they just think i can't be bothered i'm too busy go away leave me alone that kind of thing and you get this kind of collective cultural belief about whether whether it's worth speaking up and whether there's a culture of silence so if you're operating in an organization and everybody else isn't mentioning what's going on you're significantly less likely to as well 
And then there are things around occupational ideologies. So whether loyalty is being equated with not speaking up, and quite often those two things are confused, and leaders assuming that if people aren't raising issues, they're either acquiescing or agreeing. And that's a biggie. That creates silence. So we've got a silence, but it, the leadership have completely misreading it. They think it's because everybody's agreeing with them. And then we've got um, employee-sponsored voice mechanisms. So um, where where there are committees and things, um, but the kind of culture is you only mention these things and only mention it once, start to create more silences where everybody feels restricted in, in what they're able to say. And then lastly, there are individual predictors. So things like emotions, anger can reduce. Anger is an interesting one. Anger can do two things. Where people are angry, either increases voice or increases silence. Depends on the individual themselves and how they deal with what their relationship is with anger. And low activated negative emotions, things like depression and, and things like that, can increase silence. And there's a whole thing here around emotion contagion. So if there's a lot of fear in an organization, people are worried about their jobs, that um, you know there's a merger and nobody's talking to them, that can produce silence as well. Low perceived power within the organization, like nobody cares about me, um, that I don't have a voice, that produces silence. And then socio-demographic issues, like being a feeling that you're a disadvantage within the organisation, you don't have the right qualifications or the right education or you didn't go to the right university or you're a female in a largely male environment or you're in a minority group in some way and you feel disenfranchised. That has people who are in those groups tend to have higher silence type behaviours. And I'm I'm going to kind of stop there and we'll, we'll have a chat about all of this. I think the main thing that's coming through the, the research to me is that issue about the employees really are the eyes and ears of the organisation, but they're also the brains of the organisation. It's where innovation comes from and thinking and things like that. And... And without that, if we don't have those voice behaviours, we're effectively flying blind within an organisation, particularly from a leadership point of view. And one of the things that kind of surprises me when you start to have a look at kind of leadership management programmes is employee voice is hardly ever mentioned. They talk about employee engagement, but not employee voice. And there are some programs that talk about it, but very few and very few L&D programs or anything else. It's like this kind of hidden thing and there's a complete lack of understanding about what it is and that's why it can turn into noise. People think that lots of chatter is employee voice. It may not be because if it's a load of rubbish and people are just chatting, that's not helping anybody. So I'll stop there.
and uh, we can have a chat. So comments, questions, thoughts. Hello, Doc. Yeah, John. Uh, you've mentioned before on, on several occasions about being too psychologically safe. And could you yep. kind of contrast and comparison that to this? Yeah, where people, so obviously if there isn't enough safety, people aren't going to engage in voice behaviours because they don't feel very safe. Where people feel complacent, that can also have a, have an impact on voice behaviors as well they think everything's all right or it's somebody else's job nothing to do with me and that also depresses voice behaviors yeah yeah good question thanks john um i also had a question david hi hi, hi um, I, I i'm wondering if if Possibly leaders have um, kind of uh, absolved themselves from actively seeking the employee voice, assuming it is the responsibility of HR to do so, and that sort of they've like, like outsourced that. So I'm wondering just any thoughts on that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what tends to happen is organizations try to organize it. <laughs> so they they create committees or they'll create an engagement survey the whole point of employee voice is it's the day-to-day -day chatter. It's informal. So if it's, if it's the formal stuff, that's not employee voice. Now, whether people engage in the formal stuff can help, but it really is the informal stuff. And it's, it's having to, it's, it's creating where there's the, the kind of constant feedback going on with people and people feel that they can, they can speak up and say, hang on, we've got a problem over here. We need to fix this. If that, does that make sense? David, yeah, it, it 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 certainly makes sense. I just I was just wondering about the, you know, sort of convenient to say, oh well, mm. listening to the employees is it's not my not my issue over here at marketing or development. It, there's an HR department for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's everybody's responsibility, of particularly course. if they're in a, a leadership or management point of view. And this is yeah. one of the problems is because it's hardly ever mentioned on leadership development programs or anything. It's easy just to think, yeah, it's HR's job. Yeah, Thanks. nice. Norma. Hey, David. Yes. Um, when organizations try to encourage employee voice, when they recognize that it has been missing at the highest level, and they try to encourage that, how they label it is really interesting. I... I was at Merrill Lynch when they tried to do that. They tried to encourage that because they had a hierarchy of a militaristic way of working the organization. And that the president that they hired to do this, a man named Kamansky, came out with a program, which as you point out, doesn't work, but he named it uh, he wanted to encourage contentiousness. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to do just the opposite of what he tried to have happen. And he lasted maybe a year and a half as the president. And then they kicked him up to a higher level. 
but he couldn't get it to happen and it never happened. And the things that happened to that organization over time, I've watched it. And it is an indicator that the employees never spoke up. It was a promotional way of silencing anybody that could offer an idea. It was yeah, a strange. Hi yeah, hierarchical organizations. And this is one of the things about distance. Hierarchical organizations usually use quite often anyway can suffer from not finding it difficult to create voice because they try to structure it too much and you know there was an interesting couple of studies actually looking at um coaching and where organizations have created kind of a culture as manager as coach and what that does and it's kind of a side benefit of it whilst a lot of managers go into the manager as coach as being seeing themselves as mentors and and giving advice if you've got a good coaching so a question questioning based coaching managers coaching kind of program and 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 it's working where it's proper coaching rather than telling there's a there's an offshoot of that and the offshoot of that what they've found is that the teams under those managers tend to develop greater levels of voice because the managers are actually asking questions and, and doing something with it. There's, there's much more leadership member exchange. There's much more discourse going on. And it's that. It's the discourse that makes the difference, it appears. Yeah, nice. Thanks, Norman. Fran? Um, a couple of things. First of all, um, back in the day, and I think some companies are excuse me, reviving this program now was the employee suggestion box. And the only time I've ever seen that work is in technical organizations where what they thought they would get, and in some cases did get, were patentable recommendations and thoughts and so on. And otherwise, what happened to your point about politics is that if it was anything soft skilled, like uh, a recommendation for some sort of change or reorganization or communications or anything of that sort, the response to it was so politicized. And, you know, as Norma mentioned, it was so hived off and directed toward being the responsibility of a function or an executive that, once again, you're right, it just, it shut off any kind of voice at all. And the second thing I wanted to just mention is in huge decentralized organizations where the uh, business units are far away from headquarters. The thing that I've seen as a consultant is whole subcultures get formed around those remote locations. So you'll get some remote locations that have a fabulous environment, <laughs> all kinds of voice, all kinds of fabulous ideas, and they're always doing well, and so on and so on, and others that don't. And it's all because they're far enough away that they feel safe in structuring a subculture like that. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And actually, that's that's very true, that they feel, so the leaders and the managers feel safe to have a more discursive kind of culture where as opposed to a more managerial type culture 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, thanks for them. Rose. Um, I'm I can't help but wonder, you know, this is all related to social connection and in this new way of um uh, remote work. Uh, I'm, I'm luckily I'm not working full time. I'm not a leader of a large organization anymore. I would find it hard to have that informal social connection now. Um, it's not the same as a Zoom call or, you know, so when I was in the office, for example, I'd walk around, I'd um, sit in the cafeteria uh, or the lunchroom um, and people or I'd stay late at night or be early in the morning. And that would invite these informal conversations, um, which is very difficult to do right now. So I, I wonder, uh, and you can answer this later, if there's any studies related to that. That was the first uh, comment or question. The other one is I'm also wondering about the connection to, I've been reading a lot about how wellness programs, mental health programs in the workplace are not working. And um, there's a, there's also a connection because there's no so social connection. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's uh, put out a program there and expect people just to be well or, uh, you know, deal with it. <laughs> Um, so those are my two comments. Yeah, yeah. So yes, uh, there's growing evidence that quite a lot of the wellness programs aren't actually doing quite as much as they're meant to be, because it doesn't go along with social support. And you know, there's there's a a growing body of evidence about you know we're social animals, and you know if you're in a if you're in a group or a team where you think people care for each other, then your mental health is going to be better anyway. So it, it needs to be part of that. It's not, you can't just throw a program at people and expect them to be better, whatever that might mean. Yeah. So the remote thing is really interesting. So what's coming out of the research at the moment is that um, in terms of remote working, for example, that when the, the managers need to manage in a very different way than they do face-to-face. -face. So quite often face-to-face, -face, there's either a hierarchy or there's more of a hierarchy, even if they say it's flat. You know, the bosses tell people what to do. These are the objectives. This is what we want to do. That kind of thing does not work very well through things like this. And it increases distance between the employee and the the manager, that the nature of the relationship of the manager, the whole LMX thing, the leader member exchange thing, the nature of the relationship between the manager and the and remote employees needs to change. And there's quite a, there's a, I, you know, I've seen probably good couple of dozen studies saying almost the same thing. In fact, we did a research briefing on it not so long ago. Um, and that as, if managers get that, and start to engage people on a more one-to-one -one personal basis. Again, going back to the whole LMX, the whole leader member exchange theory and all of that kind of stuff, having good relationships. And leadership styles like servant leadership tend to work best, uh, and inclusive leadership tend to work best in remote, uh, in remote working. Now, which is interesting because they're exactly the forms of leadership that help to promote voice. So, and th there aren't a lot of studies, but there's one or two studies starting to appear now that are connecting those two things. Yeah, nice. Thanks, Rose. Brilliant. Oh, got some comments in here. 
any any others while I'm just reading these microcultures? Yeah, David. I, I mean, I, I was going to ask similar questions to Rose because I, you know, the more remote we are, the more disengaged we're going to get. And I know people are starting to use avatars even in meetings, and that avatar will speak when you're speaking, and it's just disengaging mm. even more. So those incidental conversations around the water. Or you know, make it a cup of tea or the cafe are just going to even get dispersed. So it's my question is how how do you encourage organisations to try and get people to have their cameras on during meetings without being intrusive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple of really interesting studies around this. So that there was a study looking at um students and learners so if you've done any lecturing students really do not like being on camera right and so there was a, a really interesting study looking at what happened if you turned not the camera off but where the student couldn't see their own image on the screen and it had a significant impact so everybody else could see them they just couldn't see themselves and if you do that they're much more likely to allow the camera to be on because they can't see themselves. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm, I've never quite, apparently this is a way in Zoom to do it. I've never quite worked because I've got to have my camera on all the time, but um, there is a way, a setting that you can do so they can't see themselves. And that significantly increases it. Now, I've seen a similar study. It wasn't quite the same study. I've seen a similar study to do with Zoom meetings in organizations with very similar findings. Um, and then beyond that, this kind of appeals to humanity. I've seen one or two. Um, oh, Carney's saying, yeah, it's a Zoom feature. I use it. Oh, cool. Where is it? <laughs> how do you do it? I've never found out how to do it. So, yeah, if anyone knows, just stick it in the, in the thing. You have to, to use the three dots uh, above the right, right top right corner of your own video, and then there is... Uh, Oh, second yes. to last option. I, I don't know how it's called in English. I have the German version. Yeah, it says oh. hide self view. Exactly. Ah, there you go. Simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's... And it, it makes a difference. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. Uh, and does that, uh, but is that, is that solving the problem? I, I'm saying that for the, the, so are people engaging more? Sorry, I'll make sense in a minute. Um, so it's brilliant they've done the hide self view, but have we, have, um, does it do everything then that literally they just engage as normal once they've done that? They, right, is, they is what engage is gonna happen more. They engage they more. They engage more and they keep their, their camera on, bearing in mind that most of these studies were done with students who are pretty self-conscious anyway. Um, you know, I've got spots today and all that kind of jazz. So, okay, okay. Um, and there's a couple of meeting studies that have, have done very similar things. Um, yeah. I've seen anecdotally that if I join a call and there's like five people on it and I turn my camera on, like the first person who does that, usually you get one or two other people do it. And then you, if you become the odd person out who's not with their camera on, just socially with pressure, 
you, you typically get all the cameras turned on, right? So, yeah. leading by example. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah, job. Uh, Lily, experience out on your this uh, research briefing. And when you first put it out, I used it in a class among a bunch of veteran officers. And the question I got was the elephant in the room, and I'm gonna use their terms. What they said: the grippers and the bitchers. Is there any uh, evidence or any studies that deal with psychological safety in this? theory of voice as when you have those certain individuals that are known as the grippers. Yeah, I, I think the thing to do with all of those factors, you know, the predictors of, of voice is to see it as a collection of things. It's not just one or two things. So that the more that you've got working for you, the more that you're going to have in, you're going to have voice. So it's not just one thing like employee voice. So whilst the studies are showing kind of correlations between them, when you see the bigger studies that are, are multifactorial studies, you tend to see that it's the combinations of factors that make the, the biggest impact, if that makes sense. So, you know, I wouldn't just hinge on one or two of those personally. <laughs> Gripe water. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, what's Bjorn got there? This looks interesting. David, on some of the employees in some organizations that I've had experience with, voice and speaking up is an invitation for attack and i'll give you an example and this happened basically during the time when women were coming up in the financial industry we had a very very successful woman in the peoria illinois office and i went to interview her about what created her success and how she could give advice to any of the other women that were working in the other offices that i serviced and her advice was to keep your head down and your mouth shut. It was at self-imposed silence. Yeah. And otherwise, and, she <clears throat> felt you would be in trouble with other primarily male co-workers, people with the same level. Yeah. yeah. So this so is why has that changed. Uh, well, I think it depends on the organization. I think some organizations are exactly like that. Um, and I certainly know organizations where people are told, you know, just keep your head down, mouth shut, and you'll be fine. Uh, and that and that's not just women, you know, you know, new leaders, all sorts of people. You know, if you've got that kind of culture, uh, the, you know, these meetings, head down. Right, you know, you've got a problem, and and this is the cultural issue, and it's also the multifactorial issue to do with employee voice. The the point that and uh, you know definitions are just a definition, and it's like yeah, okay, but it's that intent for bringing about some form of improvement or change that there's a positive intent here, and it's getting that within the culture, and and that connects to things like 
um, leadership humility. Now, it's not just going to happen by saying, you know, we want humble leaders, but it's starting to think about, so what is it? What are the kinds of, what are the things that we can surround people with that make this the kinds of behaviours that's that, that are more likely to come about? It's a systems issue. It's not a one or two factors. You know, if we do these things, this will happen. This, that you know, this is, you know, we were talking a while ago and we did one or two sessions um, a couple of years ago about organisational health and about thinking about what's a healthy organisation. You know, how do we get people talking in a way that's purposeful and not just kind of opening the mouth and chatting? And it's it's that. It's the whole system. And that feels like it's a big thing. But that's what OD is about. It's, you know, change is about, or it should be anyway. Yeah, Paul. Oh, can't hear you. I don't know whether that's your mic or you're not on mute. Uh, try that. Can ah, you hear me now? Tip. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was just wondering um, if you know, at middle, of some, middle sort of levels in some of these organizations, half the battle is that the, the managers don't really want to ask. They don't want the voice. And it's not because they don't care, but they feel so powerless to do anything about it. They almost know what's going to be said and they feel powerless about it. And I, the sort of phrase that, that's going around in my head as I'm hearing this, some of the people I'm thinking of is, it's almost better in a way to have your employees suspect you don't care but can't quite put their finger on it than to go out and ask, then not react and prove you don't care. And yeah, I think that's one of the right. challenges is, is, you know, a lot of people doing this work are not actually at the top of the organisation. They don't have full power themselves. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons why I think this is a systems issue, and that there needs to be a conversation and a continual conversation. Um, uh, you know, and going back to the point that was being made before, you know, it's not the responsibility of HR; it's the responsibility of every manager, every leader. You know, it's it's part of the system that this organization should be operating under, and then once we've got that, we can start having the conversation about you know, kind of wasting people's time and stuff, but let's get the conversation going. Yeah. Well, we, we do some exercises for groups where we get them to to listen to the voice, listen to the teams, but then very quickly and, and with the teams go, what's in my control? What's 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 outside of my control? And where might I be able to influence? So you're always mm -hmm. taking the concerns really quickly and being really honest. With you. you know, I can fix that. I'll go fix that now. That's just the way it is around here. I think it's rubbish too. Mm. All right, I didn't think about this, but I'll go lobby on your behalf. And because I just see these guys are terrified to ask the question. It's not they don't want to ask. It's just that they're just terrified that people are going to come along and go, do you know that's rubbish? And they're going, yeah, I do. It is. Yeah, I can't do anything. Yeah. Which comes back to the too. whole agency thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to look think... like I'm powerless because I'm supposed to be the boss mm. and I'm supposed to be in charge and I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. doing and I don't. Yeah, and there's another issue as well, and and this is kind of a a, a development issue within organisations. Quite often, and I, I I kind of let me draw a picture for you. It's the easiest way to kind of describe it. One of the things that quite often happens in organisations. So we've got the people at the top. <laughs> All right, there you go. We've got big legs. All right, we've got the people at the top and the people at the bottom, and 
there's a lot of lack of thought about the communication up and down the organization and that what happens in organizations is managers are seen as managers like managing down the making sure that these things get done based on what they're told from the next level up the reality is and and that's partly true and that's fine but it's not the whole story the managers are actually sitting on a line of communication between here and here. These people here can only make good strategies and make good decisions based on their knowledge of what's going on down here and what's going on between the organization and the customer, which is usually at this level, or with stakeholders or suppliers or whatever, which is usually at this level. They can only make good decisions if they've got that information. And rarely will those people and those people be in direct contact. These people here, the managers, depending on how many layers of management, are actually part of that communication line. And that very rarely gets talked about. And we're looking at a project at the moment, um, which is around thinking about having somebody who promotion pay isn't affected by what's going on and other managers in the organization, and having almost an organizational observer who can walk into any office, sit in any sit in any place. They're they're not a they don't go and say, oh, this is what's happening down here. They keep it all to themselves. But they see themselves as a facilitator of going, actually, you know what, mate, I think you should go and just talk to this person down here. They've got something interesting to say. Or going up here and saying, okay, that last thing that you sent out, do you know where it went? Maybe you'd like to go and check. It's that kind of. So we're 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 looking at this idea of kind of an organizational observer within, and it it kind of comes back to some of the the work done around organizational jesters and poets and things like that who are there to speak the truth. So, but it's a very very nuanced kind of organizational consultant very nuanced you've got to be very good at what you're doing you've got to make sure that you're not blowing the whistle or you're not seeing anybody you've got to have access to everybody and um, that seems to be having an effect and, and certainly we've run it in one or two organizations seems to be useful interesting david that is a role that i accidentally end up playing in a lot of the large organizations where we work with different bits of the organization because mm. we can do it as an outsider but you get real kind of conflict issues because yeah. You know, particularly when I'm doing coaching and, and workshops or you're hearing stuff mm. and you're going, well, I can already tell you this isn't going to work because yesterday I was with these people and they're going to come and kill your project dead. And and so, but it's a really fascinating thing that organizations sometimes need an outsider. Um, I, yeah. I When I was sort of selling into a lot of organizations, it was actually easier than when I'm consulting because as a salesperson, you didn't have the vested interest of, yeah, they knew you were an outsider, whereas now you're kind of being paid by people as a consultant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, in, and it's a very skilled role. Yeah. In some organizational communications things, and I think, you know, the last several things we've talked about are getting at something that is very near and dear to my heart, because I think organizations are really, really bad overall at communications. And I don't mean communications like writing press releases or telling people things and so on. I mean, communications that actually can 
move the organization in a direction it needs to go. And one of the things that, that I tell people a lot is particularly if their idea is something that involves a change or a structural issue or something that's a little on the the bigger side than having Sally Sue and Jimmy switch desks. Uh, uh, the there is there are opportunities within an organization to voice those things. And one of the things that I think is a critical role of a manager is not only to understand what those what those voice things might be, but to have feelers out so they understand when there's an opportunity within the organization to actually voice that yeah. in a more in a more formal kind of way. And basically what I tell people is when that window is open, go for it. Lobby as hard as you want for your idea or your position or point of view or the change that you want. Go all out for it. But understand that there's a point when the organization will make a decision. And the thing that you're obligated to do as a member of that organization is line up behind the decision, whatever it is, once it's made. Then the next time an opportunity comes up, you can lobby your brains out again and you'll be yeah. listened to. Yeah. No, but you have to understand that there is a time when the window closes yeah. and at that point you need to quit and line a up. Decision, a decision made. has been made. Yeah, nice. Thanks, Fran. I've just put in the uh, the chat, there's a pack that I've put together, a zip file. It's got a whole load of research briefings that we've done going back a while all about um, uh voice behaviors um various bits and pieces you can kind of pull them together it just makes quite a nice use, useful pack um so i'll stay online for another minute or so in case you want to download that um and that's it i hope this has been useful and interesting and um see you soon <laughs>